welcome back to Theology Happens, where we talk theology and how it applies to our lives. And I'm Rob Schutz, and this is episode number three. So on today's episode, we wanted to uh, talk about earthly rulers and their authority or potential lack thereof in the church. Um, now, if you've been following my blog, uh, you may have noticed an article a number of months ago now, by the time these will get released, uh, that I started, excuse me, that I wrote, uh, in which I outlined some points that I wanted to address to the to today's church. And if you've noticed that, I had 20 points, and if you've been paying attention, you've noticed that these episodes have sort of lined up with those points. Uh, we've talked about points one, two, uh, and three were all addressed in the last episode. And so now here we are bringing ourselves to point number four within that uh, article I wrote. Um, and so the question at hand today, the question that, that comes up is, who is in charge of the church? Now, in my article, I was very clear, very poignant uh, to say that Christ is the head of the church, that there are no other authorities that ought or should in any capacity govern over the church. And I hold to that position. And obviously, if you're a Christian listening, this is probably not anything radical. You've probably heard many sermons or uh, as you've read through uh, the New Testament, you've clearly seen this address that Christ is the head of the church, that Christ is the authority, that he is uh, Lord of Lord, King of Kings, however it potentially gets phrased there, and that he is subject to no one, and he has all authority and power uh, has been given to him, uh, especially, if you will, uh, to the church. Now, again, we can get into whether or not that goes beyond that in a different episode, but uh, specifically today we wanted to talk about the church and Christ as the only uh, sole ruler over the church. And so as we ought, we, we are going to start here with, with looking at Scripture and trying to unpack what Scripture says on this topic and, and how uh, we can un better understand it. So Colossians chapter 1 is sort of our, our jumping off point for this subject. And so uh, Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 18 says this. It says, He, referring to Christ, excuse me, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. Now, I really like the uh, New King James just in my just a translation uh, the church I attend uses, and I've gotten really uh, used to it and accustomed to it. Uh, but I, I especially like it here because uh, that word preeminence is a lot of fun, and that's just me geeking out over a more Old 
timey sounding word preeminence because you don't often think about that word in today's vernacular but nevertheless that's what we're talking about christ is the head in verse 18 christ is the head of the church who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead that he may have preeminence again preeminence rule dominion complete control and if you were paying attention following along in the passage you also notice that he even created all other dominions principalities or powers so there even is now being suggested that uh, he is even above those things because he created them he put them into being and so obviously evidently scripture makes this very clear christ is the head of the church now basically the the immediate takeaway the quick takeaway from this teaching from just this one passage alone we could go into first corinthians when it talks about the body of believers and the different parts and all that even it mentions the christ being the head there as well but the first sort of tipping off or excuse me first point about this concept is that basically if there's any other person group government organization whatever it may be that tries to rule over the church they are overstepping their their lane they're overstepping their bounds they're overstepping their authority because again there can be only one authority over the church and that must be christ and so whether it's you know how we see in some cults um, particular uh, individuals rise up to try to say that they are the authority on earth um, that would be incorrect um, because it's again christ um, or you know even a, even a government that maybe potentially says that no no we are in charge uh, we can tell the church what it can and cannot do um, because we have an authority given to us by even god they might claim so we have every right to uh, control what it is the church uh, tries to do or tries to be about now in today's world as soon as you mention government and whether or not they have authority over the church uh, again we find ourselves in romans chapter 13. now if you are this is the first time you're ever seeing one of my videos hearing me talk uh, you may think oh okay cool he's going to get into the romans 13 argument um, i'm in fact am not going to get into that right now um, because i did that in my last episode episode number two uh, we talked a ton about that and what exactly Romans 13 is saying and so if you want a more in-depth look at that so go ahead and pause now go check out episode number two come back and get the what we're talking about today as far as Christ being the head of the church um, so so to summarize though simply uh, from the last episode no just because the government might say something uh, Romans 13 does not teach that, therefore, the church must obey. Uh, we see plenty of examples in Scripture where that's just not the case. And again, the whole argument about what is Romans 13? Is it telling us how things are or how things ought to be or what's going on there? And so, no, um, Romans 13 is not a command to just simply blindly obey 
a uh, human government. So <clears throat> with that said, that's going to bring into a whole can of, of um, well, arguments and, and, well, what about this or what about that kind of stuff, because that's indeed what happens um, online when I uh, mentioned this point. Uh, in my recall, I had some critics, I suppose you could say, that uh, challenged my take on that. Um, but someone even asked me this specific one, like, well, what about like building codes? Does a church have to obey building codes then based on what you're, you're saying here? If the government, if we don't have to blindly obey what the government says, Christ is the church. Christ didn't obviously put any building codes in the scripture. Uh, does that mean we need to then follow that? Well, let me, let me answer that question because I want to turn our attention to Deuteronomy. Yes, Deuteronomy, uh, the often neglected <laughs> uh, book of the Pentateuch. Uh, nevertheless, nevertheless, Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 8 says this. When you build a new house, then you shall make a parapet for your roof that you may not bring guilt of bloodshed on your household if anyone falls from it. I want to see the uh, want to see the T-shirt with that Bible verse on it. That's an idea out there. People who make I don't know if anybody who makes T-shirts listens to me, but there you go. There's a free one. I think maybe I need to just start doing that on a weekly. Uh, you know, make the inspirational Bible verses. I'm gonna make like the weird ones like this. Like, who? How many people know this off the top of their head? How many people have ever quoted Deuteronomy 22 verse eight? Um. Probably not many, um, but here we have, I think, a, a super important concept right there in the midst of uh, Deuteronomy, right in the midst of the law, as it's known. We have this building code, <laughs> and so, so does that automatically mean, oh, there's an example of a building code, therefore we should have followed all the building codes? Well, let's unpack this a little bit further, because let's look at the concept of what's going on in this one verse. So so within the law of God, we have right the commands that, that maybe we, we know very um, off the top of our head, very immediately, very just like, oh yeah, the law of God, and we immediately maybe could jump to the Ten Commandments. Not a bad place to jump, not a bad place to associate with the law of God. Um, definitely something that should our mind should go. That's a good idea. But there's other stuff with it and actually if you go back into exodus uh where the exodus 20 where uh the 10 commandments are immediately following that there is case law situation where it talks about and it draws out the nuance between um the command of thou shalt not murder and then a self-defense situation or an accidental death situation what should you do if, you know, there was an accident and there were the sanctuary cities and, and the different things that God established for his people to, again, allow justice, true justice to, to be uh, attainable on earth. And so there, so there was this, all this case law there, but in the rest of the law, we also get other examples of this. And this is a, this is a prime example, uh, because again, if you build a new house, you shall build a, a, parapet or a fencing or railing along the roof 
Um, now, obviously, if you're a, a modern-day Westerner, uh, that probably sounds weird. Like, why would we need to build some sort of uh, fencing around our rooftop? Well, that's because we don't entertain on our roof. But the ancient Israelite did. That's where, especially in the coolness of the evening or even potentially in the, in the morning before the sun has reached the height and the sun is just beating down in the desert, the sun, or excuse me, the roof is where you would go to be cool because the house could either be extremely hot or the animals were there, or whatever the case may be. The roof was where entertaining or, or just even socializing was going on. Um, and so they say put a parapet, a fence, a guardrail around the roof so that you don't bring the guilt of bloodshed on your household, meaning that you, as the homeowner, would have been responsible had you know, your buddy fallen off the roof, you know, whether accidentally or pushed or, you know, whatever the case, there needs to be something to help preserve life, right? Uh, something there to ensure the safety and the well-being of whoever may be up there. And again, we like that, that's just common sense today. Uh, it just like that, that makes sense. Like if you're going to build a, um, a patio, um, or excuse me, not a patio, a balcony off of your home. What do they all have? They all have a parapet of some kind, some sort of guardrail to prevent people from just stepping outside and just walking off or slipping off. Um, it was actually several times <laughs> been in big group settings where somebody has a pool and someone just steps in the pool because <laughs> it's crowded and you're not really paying attention. And you can just easily just step right into the pool. Now, again, that's not going to cause, you know, death or serious injury because it's water it's a pool but again now take that concept and put you up elevated obviously it's a lot more dangerous and so that's where this comes into play and that's where you see the justice of god come out and you see again an important um, reality that within the law of god within the law of god there are commands not only to on how to worship on how to love God, how to come before God, how to bring sacrifice, how to, you know, be holy and righteous before God, right? There's those laws, but there's also the law of our responsibility to our fellow man and to our neighbors and to our family and how do we relate to people. And so there's a lot of very practical, excuse me, practical um, concepts in here. And, and in fact, I mean, this is, this is what's often, you know, gets gets cited, right? Like when we talk about the law of God and sometimes Christians want to try to, you know, make less of the law of God because they'll go, oh, well, Matthew, you know, 22, right? 37 through 40, uh, Jesus says them uh, in response to what's the most important commandment, uh, love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. And so we gloss over that last part and we just go see all, the, all it is, all Christianity is about is just loving God and loving people. But let's not gloss over the end. Because it says on these two commandments hangs all the law and the prophets. So all the law, all of what God has laid out, all the law, but then also all the prophets, all the 
teaching of God's, excuse me, of God through his prophets hangs on those two concepts. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And so clearly Deuteronomy chapter 22 fits within that concept because here it is, here's that example of Love God pointing us on how to, in a very practical sense, love our neighbor. Now, that's just one example. We could go in depth um, within the, the within the Levitical law, within other laws that are referenced in Scripture. Excuse me. Of how to love God and love people, and so. Ideally, in a perfect sense, we wouldn't need authorities to tell us because if we're God's people, Christ is ahead, we're looking at his law, we're looking at what he has said, we're considering it, and we're allowing that to dictate how we move. So you can see that God has given his people adequate regulation, adequate understanding, adequate command on how to make sure people are taken care of, make sure people are considered, make sure people are or are not forgotten or not neglected or not cast out. So At this point, it seems that, okay, maybe we don't need a government telling us what we must do in the church. But let's keep going. Now, I might sound like I'm contradicting myself here, because I want us to turn to Romans 13, just because I really want to drive a point home. But not that part, not the part that I already said we're not going to talk about. I want to look at the end of Romans, well, the middle, actually, Romans 13. Verses 8 through 10. So in Romans 13, 8 through 10, it says this. It says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. If there is any other commandment, are all summed up in the saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So again, <laughs> just in case you've missed my point, I'll say it once again. God has told us how to love people. We don't have to figure it out. We don't have to try to just go off emotion we don't have to try to go off of um, you know whatever culture might say about love we don't have to do any of those things because God has laid out love and what real authentic love is in scripture through his law through the prophets uh, through the New Testament we understand love and so there is a particular way that is right to love and there's a particular way that's potentially wrong um, but the point being is, if we are truly people of God, if we are truly people who love 
God, want to seek after him. Even Jesus himself says this as recorded in John, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So uh, it's reiterated throughout all of scripture. And so if that's the case, what authority could ever say something that would be superior, would be better than what God has given us? Legitimately, like wh- who who could come up with an idea, a concept that's superior than what we already have in Scripture? Yeah, nothing. You're right. Because again, we have it, and if we look in the Law of God, we already see that there are examples of this. Now, again. Not all of it's obviously, or none of it, <laughs> excuse me, is written to the 21st century Western thinker. None of it's um, addressed to, you know, our exact situation and our exact time and and the way our buildings are and how we do things and, you know, it doesn't take you know, obviously cars aren't in consideration, parking lots, you know, all these details. Sure. The ancient Jew, the first century church didn't have to deal with. You're absolutely right. But the concepts are there. You know, if you're going to build a structure, <laughs> yeah, it should be safe. You don't just let, you know... um Joe, the local guy at the church, go, oh, yeah, no, I can totally build a, a great patio. And he's got no experience and he's got no know-how. He's just got a hammer and some nails and he's going gonna, gonna to make it work. You know, like y- you are not going to want me to build anything. <laughs> I That's not my strength. Now, if you want me to help destroy something, I'm your man. But you don't want me to help you build anything because I'm just not that guy. Unless I'm surrounded by somebody who knows what they're doing. And then I will follow instructions very well because I will admit that's not my area of expertise. And so that's the point, though, is so if we're going to do something, it needs to be done well. It needs to be done to a high standard so that nothing can happen. So that prevent preventing an injury uh, is there. So preventing the loss of life is there so that people are safe and secure. Um, actually it's, it's on a side note. It, I had a funny thought process this, this afternoon as I was coming home from work, uh, cause there's a bunch of new construction going on in our neighborhood and, um, the first they're building multiple level, um, apartments. I don't know how high they're going to be. I think they're just two stories, but as I was driving by it, because I got to drive by it to, to go home. Some of the guys who are working on the, the buildings there were standing on what would be the first floor, or excuse me, the second floor of these new buildings. And I just had this like sort of almost, I mean, it's a, this is going to make make me sound stupid, but nevertheless, I could just go, wow, they really trust their own work. Because they built the beams to make the, you know, ceiling on one side or the floor on the other and i'm like wow they, they know what they're doing because there's like 20 guys up there getting ready to put the framing up on the second story and 
like yeah duh they're construction workers they're they're carpenters they're men who know how to do that so of course they know it now if i had done it i would be hesitant to let somebody get up there <laughs> but again that sort of makes my point that because god gives us a verse like deuteronomy 22 verse 8 because we have a passage like that or because we have passages that talk about even um you know like if one bull uh, if your neighbor's bull or excuse me if your bull um, attacks and maims or even kills your neighbor's bull how to deal with that how to deal with if somebody you know steals how to deal you know like it's just crazy to me that we neglect or forget about these passages that give us a case by case situation that again, maybe the, the context is different. Like I'm never gonna have to worry about if my bull attacks somebody else's bull, because I've never owned a bull and I have no intentions of ever buying a bull. It's hard to do that when you live in suburbia, <laughs> but, uh, but I do have a car. And I do know that if my car were to either while I'm driving, hit somebody else's car or maybe the brake goes out and it rolls down and crashes into somebody's parked car, you know, whatever the circumstance may be, I now sort of have an idea of how to deal with that scenario because of the whole bull gorging situation that's in scripture. And so we have these situations, we have these things that we can lean on, that we can turn to. Because, again, we know that the law is summed up by loving God, again, as he dictates it, and loving our neighbor as ourselves, again, how God dictates it. And then as Paul adds to that, love does no harm to neighbor. So, in a totally perfect scenario, the church would never need to listen to any other governing authorities. Again, whether that's sole individuals who try to rise up and usurp power, or it's, you know, the government of the nation that you're in, or it's, um, you know, different organizations, something along those lines, right? Whatever the circumstance may be, in a perfect scenario, there's just no good reason biblically for that to ever happen however we don't live in that world we live in this fallen world that we find ourselves in we live in the world where it's become what it is and you sort of have to you have to approach this from where we're at. We can't just go, well, this is where it should be, so let's just make it happen and just go, nope, we're just not going to play along at all because then we're just going to run into problems that we don't need to to fight, right? Like, like again, the reason I have stuck so hardcore into my example was because of this whole building code situation. If there's a government that doesn't force building codes like the United States, where we're at, like our state of California does, they have these particular building codes. Should we follow, like, do we need to? No, we could rebel against it and make it a big deal and potentially try to take it to court and fight it. And then 
you know, do whatever, however the outcome of that all goes out. We could hypothetically do that. But the, but the bigger, broader, better question is, do we want to do all that over that? No. Why, why would we? Because again, we should build a house or a, or a, a structure uh, that is up to whatever their code is, because that would probably be what's safe and would be reasonable to make sure that no one's going to be harmed. So it's, I guess, really not that big of a burden to align ourselves in that way. Is that, is that really a mountain, so to speak, that we want to die on as far as, you know, staying strong? And that, you know, that, that would be a question for, I think, each individual church to ask. Do we want to fight that battle? My perspective, but, you know, this is just perspective. I, you know, won't argue this biblically. It's just opinion. No, like, why would we, why would we want to stir the pot over something like that? However, you get more into what's going on in our world and what's going on in other countries around us, even whether Western countries, like up in Canada, where um, a church has um, been meeting, um, uh, ignoring the COVID uh, restrictions and COVID um, lockdown orders, uh, they've continued to gather. Uh, it, and it resulted in their pastor being arrested. Uh, but then, even though they released the pastor, they continued to meet. And even though he's got a court date that's coming up to see if what he's doing is right or wrong in the eyes of the Canadian court system, uh, the Canadian government actually even bar not barricaded, barricaded is the wrong word, but they put fences around that church building where they met. And then the first Sunday that they tried to excuse me, the first Sunday that they would have met, uh, but it was against fenced off. They had dozens and dozens of officers there um, blocking the roadway up to the fenced building so that they couldn't even gather uh, close to the church building. Now that's a totally different fight because that's them telling, that's, that's the Canadian government telling that local body that they are not allowed to gather to worship at the place that they own. Because, well, at the very least, they rent that building. But it's like this, I've seen images and uh, video, and it's a pretty standalone place. I have a hard time believing they're renting that. They probably own that property, be my assumption. I haven't looked at it. So correct me if I'm wrong. But the point being, that's a, that is a, that is a hill to die on. Because they, that's someone saying that you can't worship together here that would contradict majorly uh, the law of god because you're not allowing them to worship and so that's the that's the case what is the line that your local body should be fighting and that's something that i can't answer because i don't know the context of everybody's local body i don't know the context of uh, what is going on in your particular area uh, who your congregation is, and all those things. But what I can answer is that I, is that the leadership of that church needs to really consider what God's word says. By following particular laws, does it bring glory to God? Does it honor God? By following certain laws, uh, are 
our neighbors being loved and, and cared for? Or are they being neglected? Is God being rebelled against by obeying certain things? Those are the questions that, that a church has to ask in this day and age, this time, given the political climates and given the the um, the situations that are going on. And so that's where I hope churches are wrestling. Are we giving in to a government just simply because, well, Romans 13, so we got to. Or are we allowing Christ to really be the head of the church and allowing his authority to dictate, dictate what we do? Are we looking to God for direction or are we not? Because I know just in our own backyard through a lot of this stuff I've scratched my head and wondered huh that's an interesting choice I wasn't in on the meeting um, I don't even go to that congregation but that's an interesting choice I wonder how they arrived there and so again I, I don't want to be hypercritical because I don't know thought processes I don't know what was considered but what I can tell us you listening that well basically to, to paraphrase uh, the book of Acts when Peter and the others were before the Sanhedrin they were told not to preach the name of Jesus And their response was, we cannot seek to please man, but we must please the Lord. So their response was, we understand what you're saying. However, there's an authority higher than you. And we bow to that authority and that authority solely. And if that's not sufficient, I'll, I'll give you one last thought. Um, on this, and that's that in the early church, when as persecution rose, uh, it mainly rose because of one reality that we don't talk a whole lot about. But the reality is not that they preached monotheism or they, they, they taught even that Jesus is the only way to salvation. That wasn't the problem. The problem was there's one Lord, and that Lord is Christ, one King, Christ. And you see, that was an issue because the Roman authorities said, no, there's one Lord, his name is Caesar. And so they were in direct conflict. The first century church got in trouble from Rome. Not because of their message of the gospel as hope, but their message of the gospel because it said that there's one king and his name is Jesus Christ. 
that is what made a empire upset. And so we have to wrestle with that question at the church today. What areas are we willing to fight over? Are we willing to say there's one king? And that one king is Jesus. Or are we going to essentially take the pinch of incense to Caesar? So that's our question. And I pray that we as faithful men and women of, of God will, will seek to bend the knee only to Jesus Christ and to no one else. So thank you for joining us uh, on today's episode. I pray that you got something useful out of it. I hope it's given you something to consider and wrestle with. And uh, may God continue to use you and move you as he sees fits. Thanks. God bless.